0: Well, great to be with you this morning. Uh, Yep, we are launching a brand new series, What Kind of Church? Uh, As we're going to be seeing over the next couple of months, uh, leading right up until Christmas, week after week, uh, we're going to be seeing that very much the church is the hope of the whole world. It's a message, hopefully, we're going to get loud and clear. The problem is, an increasing number of people these days don't take the church all that seriously. Let's face it, many people don't have time for the church. When I was growing up many, many years ago, um, Sunday was viewed as a day of rest. It would kind of centre around, joining with the rest of the church, then relaxing the whole of the rest of the day. But in our 24-7 world, Sunday is now just another weekday. the Shops are open, uh, our kids' sports teams are in full swing. For some, Sunday is still a work day. For others, Sunday's the only day in the week they can have a lie-in or, or catch up with all the chores that they're doing around the house. With so much going on, church has become a much lower priority for many people. There are others who feel, yet yeah, they've got plenty of time for the church. They just don't want anything to do with the church. The church perhaps makes them angry because uh, they think it's full of hypocrites. I mean, who wants to hang out with a whole bunch of people who claim to believe something, but then live completely differently the rest of the week. And even if they can get past all of those issues, lots of people steer clear of the church because it seems irrelevant to their everyday lives. Maybe they've tried church before and it didn't make a whole lot of difference to them, so why bother? Or or maybe they want to be part of a church, but whenever they go along, they end up feeling guiltier than they did before. The preacher is always telling them they're not good enough and they need to try harder, and everyone else looks so incredibly perfect, it just leaves them feeling worse about themselves. Clearly, something has gone wrong somewhere. And so, what we're going to try and do in this series is get back to basics. If you like, we're going to try and piece together God's blueprint for the church. What kind of church does God have in mind? What kind of church will really make a difference here in our city? What kind of church should we be looking to build at Church Central? That's what we're going to be talking about. And what I want to do this morning is kind of lay the foundations for the rest of this series. In the weeks to come, we're going to get very practical. We're going to look at different aspects, different elements of the church, our mission as a church, what it looks like in the community, worship, prayer, many different aspects. Today. I want to take a step back from that. I want to try and show you the big picture. I want to try and present to you the panoramic view of God's plan for the church through all of time. And so, rather than doing what we'd normally do in terms of going to one passage and working through it, syllable by syllable, unpacking the meaning for today, instead, I'm going to present you with the message of the entire Bible uh, in half an hour. Uh, We're going to do it by looking at four questions. First of all, where does the church come from? Second, where's it all going to end up? Third, what is the church today? What is the church in this age? Fourth, How then should we live? Okay, so fasten your seatbelts. We're in for a whirlwind tour of the Bible today. Question number one Where does the church come from? Well, way back in the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, the first chapter of the first book of the Bible, tells us that from the word go, God has always wanted a people. It's like he created the entire universe so he could make Adam and Eve. And he told them, go ahead, multiply, fill the whole earth. You will be my people and you will look to me as your God. But tragically, just a couple of chapters in, they turn away from God. And sin enters the world, marring, rupturing the relationship between them and God. And God told them there would be serious consequences for this, but the Bible also teaches that even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. And so, although by chapter 6, sin had got so incredibly bad that God was tempted to blot out the whole of humanity and start again, in His mercy, He kept the human race going through Noah. And then in chapter 12, God puts His hand on a guy called Abraham, later to be known as Abraham. God said to him, you're going to be the father of many people. Out of you will come the nation of Israel and they're going to be my special people. I will bless them and through them the nations will be blessed. So God says, among the peoples of the earth, I want my own special people. I will bless them and in turn, they will bless the other nations of the earth. But here, God's special people are Israel at this point in history. God took this seriously. And so when Israel were captive as slaves in Egypt, God said to Moses, go, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And then if you're familiar with the Old Testament books of judges and kings throughout that whole era, era that whole period of history, God's people were often faithless. But through it all, God remained faithful. Israel was God's special people. God has always wanted a people. And then, about halfway through the Old Testament, it's like it changes gear. Things ramp up a notch. That's when the prophets arrive on the scene, and they start saying stuff that the Israelites couldn't quite get their heads around. They started to say that the time was coming where God was going to blow open His people. It was no longer going to be just an Israelite deal. Non-Israelites, Gentiles, people of every tribe and tongue were going to be able to become part of God's people. So, for example, Isaiah 49, God says, it's too small a thing for the Lord just to be the God of Israel. It's going to spread to far off islands and distant shores. Boom! It just got way bigger. Ezekiel says that the time's coming where the people of God won't be defined anymore by a national group or geography. It is going to be defined by those who have the Spirit of God inside them. Haggai, another Old Testament prophet said, "You, you think the former house is impressive, you wait until you see the future house, the enlarged people of God. How is all of this going to happen? Through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised one he was going to come and launch the church which was going to be this new enlarged people of god and that's why when one day jesus was walking towards john the baptist john looks up sees him coming says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world not just israel boom got to wake you up somehow, it just got even bigger. It is going to take away the sin of the whole world. That's why when the church was birthed in Acts 2, you know when the the Spirit came on them in the upper room and uh, there was this wind blowing, there was fire, they, they spoke in different languages, God planned Pentecost, the launch of the church to coincide with an international festival in Jerusalem. It says there were people there from all around the world, and every one of them could hear these people in the upper room praising God in their own language. What's going on? It just got huge. That's what's going on, that the people of God just got bigger. Remember when Jesus died on the cross? The curtain keeping people out of the Holy of Holies, the place where they thought God dwelt. It was ripped from top to bottom. That was the Father saying, you know what? Through the death of my Son, you can be forgiven of your sins. Non-Jews can now become part of my people. And it kind of reaches a climax in the book of Revelation, the last book, in the Bible, Revelation 5 verse 9, we we get this uh, amazing picture of the angels around the throne in heaven singing a song, worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? Because you were slain and with your blood you have purchased people for God from every tribe and tongue. In heaven, The angels rejoice at the work of the cross for all sorts of reasons. This one here is because the salvation of God isn't a black man's deal or a white man's deal. It isn't an eastern deal or a western deal. It's not an Israelite deal. Jesus Christ is Lord over all all the earth. And he says that people of every tribe and tongue can become part of his people. That is what it has always been about. We start in Genesis one with God wanting a people. It all ends in Revelation twenty one with this amazing picture. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Look." God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's breathtaking. Jesus has made salvation available to the breadth of humanity. Have any of you seen The Hobbit? Not seen A Hobbit, The Hobbit, the, the, the film. There's this dwarf prince, they're, they're the good guys, the orcs are the bad guys and you hear one of these seasoned dwarf warriors express his former skepticism about whether he could follow this dwarf prince after the dwarf king had passed away and then he says, I watched the dwarf prince in battle and he slew the orc king that's when I knew, there is one I could follow, there is one I could call king. When we read about what Christ has done, you know what I say? There's one I can follow, there is one I can call king. That's where we've come from. Where's the church going to end up? Well, we've actually already started answering that one. In in the future age, in the new heavens and the new earth, when Christ returns, the people of God are going to rule and reign with Christ. And what will the church be like then? Well, this is how a famous preacher, Bible teacher from the last century, John Stott, this is what he says. While the church is walking in this world of sin and shame, be spattered, this is what some of you get if you dare to sit in the front row and I'm speaking, be spattered by mud and mire. There are stains and spots on her. The church is not clean here, although she is being cleansed. But when he presents her to himself, with all the principalities and powers looking on at this marvellous thing and scrutinising and examining her, there will not be a single blemish. There will not be a spot on her it is impossible to describe this perfection. That's where we're going to end up, that's where we've come from, that's where we're going. Question number three, what's the church in this age now? What's the church like today? Well the Bible describes it in extraordinary ways, I want to start by looking at one of the clearest descriptions of the church in the whole of the New Testament. It's found in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. Remember Peter, the one of whom Jesus said, "Uh, I'm going to call you rock, and on this rock I'm going to build my church. Uh, Peter's whole destiny was kind of very much linked in with the church. Peter had a big view of the church. This is what he says, but you, plural, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you collectively may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. I want you to catch something of the awesome privilege of this, God chose you to be part of this profound thing he's doing. He's always wanted a people and he's handpicked you to be part of this people group that he's creating. As we've seen, it's a people group that's built across cultures, it's made up of all tribes and tongues and ethnic groups. Just to speak frankly, we've got to get better at reflecting this here at Church Central. We've got to get way more intentional about how we reflect what God is doing among different ethnic groups and cultures, bringing them together, reconciling their differences under the banner of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to broaden our understanding of what it means to be part of God's chosen people. We'll be unpacking that more in the weeks to come. Peter goes on, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Now if truth be told, you are probably not all that excited at the prospect of being part of a group of priests. Some of you may be others of you may be not so excited. But if you grasp what this means, it is absolutely amazing that the basic definition of a priest in the Bible is a person who serves God and has the right of access to Him. In the Old Testament, this privilege was very much restricted to just one of the tribes of Israel. But now, in the church... We are all priests. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we all have clear and constant access to God. We all get to live in the presence of God. This is true for us individually, but the emphasis here is on us corporately, us together as the church. We must not fall into the trap of reducing everything so it just becomes about me individually. If we do that, with this passage, we miss the phenomenal scale of what Peter's saying. You are a chosen people that's bigger than just you. It's bigger than your blackness, it's bigger than your whiteness, it's bigger than your cultural background, it's about something so much bigger than you as an individual. It's the power of the gospel to break down every division and every divide and bring us together as one. Similarly, you are a royal priesthood, didn't say you're a royal priest, it says you're a royal priesthood. So he's speaking not just to an individual, although it does have individual implications, but rather he's addressing a group of people. Again, this is about something so much bigger than just you. There is something incredibly powerful about us serving together and experiencing more of the presence of God together. God's design is for each one of us to play a part in revealing more of him to one another. And then look at what he says next. You're also a holy nation. Again, this is plural. Do You see, that this passage just doesn't work individually. You, you cannot be a nation by yourself. This doesn't work in isolation. God wants a people. He, he wants a priesthood. He wants a holy nation nation. is bigger than you. It's way bigger than me. It's much bigger than Church Central, much bigger than New Frontiers, way bigger than any denomination. We are a holy nation. And the implication of this word holy is that we should visibly demonstrate, display, show that we're different, that we're set apart that we are a people belonging to God. It's like we are God's possession. If you look at this biblically, if if you trace this historically, that means God is protecting us. God is watching over our steps. We're, We're being protected in ways we cannot fathom, in ways we do not always see. That's why Romans 8 says, if God is for us, Who can be against us? If we're his possession, what could ever happen to us? What could ever become of the church that God doesn't allow and work out for good in the end? We're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We are a people belonging to God. Elsewhere in the New Testament, The church is regularly referred to as the body of Christ. Now again, this is so much more than just some kind of empty theological phrase. God means business when he says we are his body. So remember the story, Saul was killing Christians, persecuting the church, trying to wipe the church out. God says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting Me. It's like a mafia deal. If you touch my church, you're touching me. Now don't hear me wrong. We are not God. But God says, you are my body. This is profound. We are the body of Christ. Where do people get to see what God is like? Through the church. We're his body. That's why in Ephesians 3, Paul says, through the church, God is, is displaying his manifold, his multicolored wisdom to the heavens and the earth. God's plan is to display his glory through us. Earlier on in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, We're the temple of God. We are the home in which God lives by his Spirit. God doesn't live in a building. It's not like there are special religious places where you have to go and find God, but kind of speak in hushed tones in case you wake Him up. No, we are the temple of God. That's why we can meet in a school hall like this, because it's not about a building, it's about a people. God says, I fill the universe." Uh, I'm everywhere all at once, but the place I have chosen to be seen most vividly, most tangibly, most powerfully is in you. New Testament also describes us as a family. The most prevalent name for God in the New Testament, He's our Father. The most prevalent metaphor, picture for the church in the New Testament, we are a family. It's an extraordinary thing, <laughs> The family of God. And then here's the biggest and best one. Can you believe that the church is the purpose of all creation? Ephesians 1:22. Jesus is head over absolutely everything for the church. He isn't just head over the church, he's head over everything for the church. God set up creation so he could have a people. It's all for the church. As the message version of this verse puts it, the church isn't peripheral in the world. The world is peripheral to the church. We're not an add-on, an afterthought. We are it. But the church is the purpose of all creation. So question four, how then should we live? So what? So a lot. First up, honour the church. Honour the church. You know, I get to do quite a few weddings in the church here. Best moment for me isn't when the bride walks down the aisle. That's, that's great. I get a view that most people don't see, kind of standing at the front, seeing seeing her coming. That's not the best moment for me. Best moment for me is when I'm kind of loitering outside the building, waiting for the bride finally to arrive. Uh, finally, when their car uh, pulls up, a sense of relief that it has arrived, uh, but uh, it's, that's when things start happening. It's like uh, the, uh, the car pulls up, the bridesmaids jump out, open the door for the bride, even if it's pouring with rain as it invariably is, they don't care about their hair, they don't care about their dress, they've got the umbrella over the bride, they are saying, watch out for that puddle, you come around this way, we'll try and c- come through here. They're doing everything possible to get the bride safely to her husband, in tip-top condition. Those of us who carry any kind of leadership in the church, do you know what a good description of us is? We are bridesmaids. That, that's what I am. I'm a bridesmaid. It might have interesting connotations in your mind's eye right now, but I'm looking after another man's bride and so we're not harsh with her. Yeah, we're firm at times. Yeah, we, we'll provoke one another in love, but we're never harsh. Acts 20, Paul says to elders, leaders in the church, that the church is bought with the precious blood of Jesus. He's saying, leaders, treat her gently, handle her with care, help her be all she can be, but honor her. The church belongs to Jesus. And just by way of an aside. That's why we don't speak badly about other churches. Even if we don't agree on everything, we still honor other expressions of the church. We pray for them. We want them to succeed. We believe the best. We defend them. We celebrate when God is blessing them more than he's blessing us. We honor the church. How then should we live? we should be biased towards the corporate, not the individual. We've seen how the Bible is all about God creating this group of people who will bring glory to Him. He's after a people, not a person. The problem is, we live, don't we, in a culture that's all about us as individuals trying to bring more and more glory to ourselves. I'm going to take care of my family, my stuff, my career, my needs, my ministry. And so, when we try and marry the church together with our culture, it tends to continue to be all about me. It's like, I meet with the church primarily for me. You know, what does the church do for me? Did I like the service today? I don't think they're taking care of me well enough. I don't feel like my needs are being met right now. I don't like the way this decision impacts me and there's not a whole lot of thought about others and I've got to confess that I have inadvertently encouraged this kind of thinking because I've preached from certain passages and ended up applying them to you as an individual like you as an individual are a light to the world. And you, as an individual, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But that is not the emphasis in the Bible. It is more a case of all of you together being a temple of the Holy Spirit that God lives in. And that together you are forming one light. That the world would see your collective good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's not about one brick lying on the ground all by itself. People look at it and go, wow, it's a whole bunch of bricks joined together to form a dwelling place for God. And when people see it, they say, that is some serious temple. Please don't have illusions of grandeur. You alone, not so impressive. Me alone, very unimpressive. Together. We are the people of God and it's potentially glorious. How then should we live? We should be humble, comforted and confident. If Jesus is the head of the church, that makes us very, very humble when we succeed because he's the head. It makes us comforted in failure because he's the head. It makes us confident for the future Jesus said, I will build my church and not even the authority structures of hell will prevail against it. The kingdom of God is coming. The church is growing. We have a bright future. Why? Because Jesus Christ is head over the church. How then should we live? We prioritise the church. Ephesians 5 instructs husbands to love their wives like Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. That's why we give our lives for the church. It's why we're prepared day in, day out, week in, week out to be outrageously inconvenienced for the church. Why? Because it's normal Christianity that the church is the climax of history. Is the reason for history. It's the body of which Christ is the head. It's what Jesus died for. If you are indifferent or casual towards the church, you need to wake up. You cannot genuinely love Jesus and not the church. It's like, someone's saying to me, I'm interested in you but not in Helen, your wife. In which case, you're not properly interested in me because we're married. We can't be separated out like that. If we prioritise Jesus, we prioritise the church. How then should we live? We serve the church. We serve the church with everything we've got. We don't just serve to get the job done. We serve because Christ, our Master, came not to be served, but to serve. We serve because it's how God designed for the church to hold together. Ephesians four fifteen says, what you and I do, our serving actually glues the church together. Instead, Paul says, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We serve because it's part of the dynamic of the togetherness of God's people. God doesn't want you to be a rolling stone. Rolling stones roll in, receive and then roll out. No, it's each stone with its own unique shape being built together, each one playing their part. And so before I finish, I want to try and give you all some specific ways to apply this. Because if you aim at nothing, you will hit it. I want to challenge you all to at least try and move up a level. And so when you came in, you should have been given one of these. Now is the time to, to get it out. If you didn't get one, uh, there are more on the uh, table out there near the refreshment area. Get one at the end. I want to challenge you all to move up a level in your view of and commitment to the church. First of all, you may be an irregular attender of the church here. I want to encourage you to move towards being a habitual attender, a regular attender. Now, I don't know, you you might be here today uh, and you'd say, well, I'm not sure if I believe in Jesus. You might still be exploring the claims of Christianity. Wonderful. This is a great place to keep on exploring. You are incredibly welcome here. Come whenever you can, ask the questions you have, disagree, debate but try and find out what it's all about. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus already but for whatever reason meeting with the church isn't a priority in your life. Hebrews ten twenty-five is a helpful verse for us all. It says, do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Make it a priority. Make it a habit to meet together with the rest of the church. So here's the challenge. Why not give it a go for the next three months? Three months until the end of the year. Give it a go up until the end of this year. Make it a priority. Make it a habit to come on Sunday morning. I only miss Sundays for exceptional circumstances. If you haven't done so already, join a life group, be committed, make a difference. There's no downside. The very worst thing that could happen is that you'll meet some new people and make some new friends. At best, you'll encounter more of God. You can't lose. Next, you may be a regular attender. I want to encourage you to consider membership. Membership. First church devoted themselves to the fellowship, devotion, not casualness. Those who were saved were also added to a local church community. If you're not a member of Church Central, why not come along to get connected? It's gonna run through the autumn term every every other Thursday evening, starting on Thursday the 10th of October. Thursday by Thursday we'll share with you the vision and values of the church, spell out what being a committed member actually looks like. Sign up for the course on the website churchcentral.org.uk under the life group section, sign up there, come along, find out whether this is the church for you. Maybe you're a lapsed member, you need to get back to being a meaningful member. Romans 12, verse 1, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Or a bit tougher. Revelation 2, verse 5. Repent and do the things you did at first. Christianity isn't just about believing a lot of stuff, it's about acting on what you believe. Come on, get back. Do the stuff you did at first. Ephesians 4 16, the church holds together, grows as each person participates. It's a spiritual deal. When you start serving the local church, you start feeling joined to the local church. It's like everyone's a winner. If you're not part of a serving team, so many people in the church serve just to make this thing work, if you're not part of a serving team, we've got uh, some of these get involved leaflets again on the table out there, Uh, pick one up, uh, see if there's an area that you could get more involved with serving uh, in the church. Fill it in and uh, give it to one of the host team who are wearing kind of uh, blue kind of lanyards and badges. Give it to one of them uh, and they'll make sure it it gets through to the right people. And we're going to talk about giving later on in this series but that's another great way to be a meaningful contributor to the church and then lastly if you're sitting there rather smug right now thinking I I tick all of those boxes already I, I am a meaningful member I want to encourage you not to plateau keep growing 1 Timothy 4 15 let your progress be evident to all God wants you to progress to keep growing, to be more effective. Hebrews ten twenty four says we should consider how we might spur one another on to good works. How could you do more of that with others in the church? 1 Corinthians 12, you've got unique gifts to contribute to this church's mission. We need them, we need you. Might mean taking on more responsibility in the church, might mean getting creative and innovating with the gifts that God has given you to advance God's agenda in every domain of life, at work, in the arts, in politics, in the media, where you live, in your street. What could you do to contribute to our mission, to reach this city with the good news of Jesus? You'll see on this handout, the space at the bottom for you to write in, I accept the challenge to move from being a blank to being a blank and I'll take the necessary action steps. Now that is open for all kinds of corruption. Uh, I want you just to look through uh, these different areas on this piece of paper. If you're convinced about the importance of the church, it's worth taking time to think about this, to fill this in and then to act on it.